0: Good morning. I was uh, reminded this morning of how different people encourage different ways, and it it made me think of a story that I read in Golf Digest this past uh, month um, where they were doing an interview with uh, Jesper Parnovic, which is a European golfer um, who's won a a few tournaments over here. Uh, But anyway, uh, a few years ago, Jesper was playing in the Ryder Cup, and it was one of the times when Sevi Ballesteros was uh, one of the co captains. And it was this critical point in the match. It was part of the singles, I think it was part of the singles matches. Jesper Parnovic's on the last hole. He has a chance to win his match and therefore get a point for the European team so that they can get the Ryder Cup. And the 18th hole, this one particular golf course, uh, was downhill, uh, but it had a lake right in front of the green. So Jesper was on a down slope, and he had thought about it, he had contemplated everything that he needed to do in order to put this ball on the green so that he could have a putt to win the match. And just as he is about, he has pulled his club, and just as he is about to step up to his ball and address his ball, he hears this commotion in the background. And he looks around and he sees Seve Ballesteros running across the fairway. He's like, wait, 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 stop, 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 wait, wait, don't, don't hit the ball, wait. He's like, What is going on? What could be going on that it's so important that he needs to stop me at this point in the match? And so Sevi gets up to him, he's out of breath, and he goes, don't hit it in the water. And the reason I'm reminded of this story is because as I was shaking hands in the first service, I had one of our encouraging deacons come up to me and go, don't mess this up. <laughs> so that's, that's one reason that I love Ivy Creek Baptist Church is that uh, people are real, people are honest, people will joke with you, but people will love you here. Um, and, and I love that about this church. Uh, I do want to piggyback before I get really into the sermon uh, on Lori's uh, announcement is uh, if you don't have time to go to... Dollar General and build a box, or if you don't have a box, we do have boxes for you. Um, if you don't have time to do all that, you can build one online. Miss Willene did that this past week, $25. You get to pick what goes in the box and you get to actually watch them build the box. Uh, I guess I got a little video or whatever, uh, but it goes in there, $25. They'll do the little tracking thing that Lori was talking about where you can see where that box goes. So if you don't have time to do that or you don't have the ability uh, to get out and do that, uh, Build a box that way. Uh, And like Lori said, I love how she put it. You have the opportunity to go on a mission trip by sending a very simple box that presents the gospel. Uh, And so if you can do that, that would be awesome. Uh, But other than that, let's pray. Let's get into this. Father God, uh, Lord, I need you. Every hour, I need you. And so Lord, this hour is no different than any other hour. in constant need of you and your grace and your mercy and so Lord I just pray that you use these words that you've given me I pray that these words bring you glory I pray that, that these words are your words and that we use them in your holy and gracious name I pray amen I know that I've just moved here I know that I've just moved into a house it's a beautiful house I love the house but I'm feeling like I need to accomplish a little more. So I think I'm going to build me a house. I mean, I've watched HGTV. I watched DIY. I mean, you just need a little bit of wood. You need some roofing materials. You need some cement, plumbing materials, electrical. I've got smart people in the church that can offer some advice. I hear Barry Parker's pretty good. Chad Williams is okay with electrical. <laughs> Wayne Tuning can offer some advice. And that people at Home Depot, if you, if you track down, if you can find one of the people in the orange, on the orange bib thingies, they're pretty helpful. So I've got some vacation coming up. I think I'm going to build me a house. Now, if my structure lasted more than a week, I'd be shocked. In fact, well, probably if, if, if Barry and Chad and Wayne helped me, it might last two and a half weeks. But why would my house not stand? Besides the fact that I have no idea what I'm doing in building a house. Uh, I, I can't uh, get more than two hits on a nail without smashing my finger. Um, But I don't have any kind of blueprint. I don't have any kind of plan. You know, my house would be very much like the houses, the little tree forts that we would try to build in our backyard growing up. But we don't have any kind of plan. And I think that we can all agree that there's no way that you can build a house without any kind of blueprint or any kind of plan. I think we could also agree that the structure that we call a house is not nearly as important as the relationships that make it a home. And yet, while we would never build a house without a blueprint, many of us in our, in our culture and our community are building homes with no idea of God's blueprint for the home. They're just thinking it's going to happen. And so the result of what we're seeing is really kind of what we've built. The, the, the system that we have built is getting the results that we're getting. And so what we're seeing is, is we have a lot of people building a home without God's blueprint. We're seeing a culture in which the breakdown of the family and God's design of the family is going away. And so today we are, we are continuing our, our, our um study on the Psalms of the Ascent, which you may recall is a collection of songs within the bigger book of Psalms. And so people would sing these collection of songs as they were making their way, as they were doing their pilgrimage to get to Jerusalem for the high holy days. And so as they were walking along, they would sing these songs. And it would remind them of God's provision in their life. It would remind them of the great things that God has done. But as we will see today, it also reminds them of God's wisdom and, and ways that they can plan for the future. Psalm 127 and 128 lay out a beautiful design for the family. But these two psalms also remind us that it's going, it takes work to build the family. It takes work to go from a house and make it into a home. I was very excited when, not that Craig was having surgery, I was very excited that when, when he asked me to do this, uh, to do this particular week, I looked ahead to see what psalm of ascent we would be on, that it was this one. Because I can think of no better psalm to do as the pastor of family and discipleship than this one. Because it really does. It gives us a great plan. It gives us a great blueprint for God's design of the family and where we need to place our priorities. So if you haven't done it yet, if you will open your Bibles to Psalm 127 and 128. And follow along with me. A song of the ascents of Solomon. Unless the Lord builds a house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame. When he speaks with his enemies in the gate, Psalm 128, a song of ascent. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed, and it shall be well with you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. Our two psalms this morning are psalms of wisdom. In fact, the first one is written by the king of wisdom, King Solomon, who when God asked him what he would what he would rather have, he said he would rather have wisdom or riches. He chose wisdom. So God gave him both. Unfortunately, Solomon didn't really follow his advice that's in here, um, and we read about that in Scripture as well. But, and so we've done a little bit of shifting. It, from the previous uh, Psalms, we've done a lot of history and what God has done. And these are not really written in that way. It's not like the New Testament we read, uh, read the accounts of those and they all connect together. These connect together in ways that they were sung together. But these were written at different times and by different authors. And, but they do lead us on a journey. And so we've gone from remembering what God has done to learning about what God will do if we follow this plan and this blueprint. Now, I was not there As the people were on this journey, obviously, because I don't have a time machine made out of a DeLorean, but I just imagine what the conversations were like. Because I don't know if you know this or not. Many of you don't know me all that well. I haven't been there all that long, but I've started to run. Not because it's the cool hip thing to do. I would do CrossFit if that were the case, but um. But I started to run, and not because I like to run. I hate to run. I run so that I can eat, uh, is really what it comes down to. Um, Will runs because he likes it. Dave runs because he has to. Um, if, If I could sit on my couch and watch NCIS and burn calories, I would do it, but I cannot. But anyway, at the beginning of my runs, and I've figured out that the only time that I can run and not avoid the the schedule that our family has is to get up at 6 o'clock in the morning. And so now we've ventured into two things that I hate to do, run and get up early. And so at 6 o'clock in the morning, I begin my running adventures, and immediately out of my house, it's a little bit flat in our cul-de-sac, but once I turn onto the main road, I start going uphill. And I hate it. I'm like, why am I doing this? My feet hurt. My ankles hurt. My legs hurt. My hips hurt. I can't breathe. What's going on? Why am I breathing like this? I hate this. I'm just going to turn around and I'm going to go back to bed. But then everything starts to warm up. I go and I get and I build up and I build up. And so by the time I get back to my house, the hill that I have gone up is the hill that I'm now coming down. So I've got some strength. My legs are feeling good. And I'm actually uh, not sounding like I'm, I'm Breathing on a ventilator or anything. So, so I'm coming down and I'm like, I think I could do like a marathon now. You know, I got this. I got this going. And then my house is there, and I have to quit. I have to quit. Uh, I want to quit. And I wonder, is this what it was like a little bit for the people on this journey? Yes, they're going to Jerusalem to celebrate God, to celebrate the things that God is doing. Celebrate the things that God has done in their past. But do you think when they started out the journey, they're like, oh my goodness, do we have to go again? The husband turns to him like, you know it's uphill the whole way, right? Those mountains are scary. Stuff that jumps out at you. But then, as they pass the halfway mark and they get closer to their journey destination you think they start talking a little bit? Hey, Bob, how far did you travel to get here? Oh, about 30 miles. Ha! I did 33. 33 miles right here. Hey, Fred, how many people do you bring with you? Well, my family and my in-laws and all that, we brought about 26, ha! brought 27. This guy right here. So the journey became about who they were and what they were doing out of their own power. And do you think because they were traveling in a group of fellow believers, people that believe the same thing that they do and were trying to accomplish the same part of the journey, do you think somebody in that group started singing? I'm not going to sing it because I'm not Craig Dale. Unless the Lord builds a house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. And it snaps people back. Oh yeah. It's about me. It's about the journey that God is taking us on so that we can celebrate His greatness and what He has done. And so really what we see is that Work is a big part of of who God is. And work is a big part of who we are. Work is a major component in our lives. In fact, you see the the title of the sermon is Do Work, Working to Build Our Families. This is something that comes out of my student ministry days and and, and came out of a program that was on MTV a few years ago. Anytime these guys would go out and do something, they would say, we're going to go do work. And so when we go on mission trips, we would... That would be our phrase, we're going to do work. And we have to do work to build our families. And so work is, it's really unavoidable. Work is a part of our lives. We have to work to maintain our homes. We have to work to maintain our jobs. We have to work to maintain our families. And so it can either be good or it can be bad. It's an area where sin can be magnified, or where our faith can become mature. And so the nature of sin is to take good things and twist them ever so slightly to where they miss their mark and miss where they're going. Sometimes that's what happens with work. That even though it starts out as good and, and things that we need to do and prepare... Starts becoming part of this journey where we got to do more and more to accomplish more and more so that we can have more and more. And it misses its mark. And so, we see this more and more uh, with families. Families are good. And and what God designed to be, uh, to bring Him glory and to bring Him honor, sin has, has gotten in there twisted it ever so slightly to miss the mark. And that's what we're seeing in our culture now, where the, where the family is so off-kilter and missed the blueprint that it's missing the mark. And Psalm 127 and 128 takes us on a journey that gives us our motivation to work so that we can build a legacy for generations. Generations. So that we can see the work for, of God, so that we can be a part of the work of God for generations and generations. People are working all around us, but what Solomon reminds us in these first two verses: if we haven't done the right, if we haven't done it with the right person involved, it's a waste. And so, look back at verses one and two of Psalm one twenty-seven. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city. The watchman stays awake in vain. Don't we see this all the time in our culture, in our community? We see people work and work and work and work and work. And it never gets them anywhere. Yeah, it gets them promotions. It gets them things. But does it really, really ever get them anywhere? Their work is in vain because it's done without God at the center. It's done without God, part of the process. God wants us to work. Don't get me wrong, we have... In the Bible, we have two illustrations of work going on. And there are two, both of the extremes. We have the Tower of Babel, where they were working and working in order to build a stair up to God, or in order to touch God. But God wasn't a part of that. So their labor was in vain. But then we read about Paul writing to the church at Thessalonica, where those people who took on the attitude of, well, God will take care of it, so we don't really need to do anything. So Paul got onto him and was like, look, God's called you to work. So get out there and work and spread the gospel. And so God is a God of work. And in fact, verse 1 of the entire Bible tells us God created, God did something, He made something, He fashioned heaven and earth. In fact, Genesis 1 is a journal of work, and he continues to work today. He continues to work in our lives. He continues to provide rain and seasons and grace. God didn't just create the world, start it spinning and go, good luck. He still continues to work today. Eugene Peterson writes, uh, one of the reasons that Christians read Scripture repeatedly and carefully is to find out just how God works in Jesus Christ so that we can work in the name of Jesus Christ. Which leads us to to our second point. Work is natural, inevitable, and faithful. Development out of work God is already doing. Each of Paul's letters start out with doctrine and and, and end up with practical. It gives us something to do. In order to obtain the doctrine, then we have to work to get there, and he gives us uh, those steps and that challenge to get there. Eugene Peterson also writes, The curse of some people's lives is not work as such, but senseless work, vain work, futile work, Work that takes place apart from God. Work that ignores the if that we see in Psalms 127. Now my translation says, unless the Lord builds the house. But a lot of translations write, if the Lord builds the house, those who build it, or unless the Lord builds a house, uh, those who build it labor in vain. If we can orient ourselves with God's work and what He is already doing, then we can free ourselves from the compulsiveness of work. In any of our work, we must always remember God's work is at the center of anything we do. And from the writer, um, Henry Blackbee, many years ago with Experience in God God is always at work. It's up to us to find out where he's working and join him there. So God's work is at the center of anything we do. And as the psalmist points out, a beautiful example of this is found in our family. Because once we have God at the center, you know, God, he, the, the Solomon, Solomon could have used anything uh, to display work, to be an illustration of work. He could have used the temple that they are headed to. He could have used some of their homes. He could have used some of the other things that are out there but he chose the family as his example of what happens when we work on something that matters and God at the center. See, with the correct blueprints and and a good team, building a house is fairly easy. Don't have me on your team. I said a good team. But the people that do this for a living, uh, that do it well, building a house is pretty easy. The work comes in making it a home. Making children is easy, fun. The work comes in bringing them up to make them part of your home and discipling your children, telling about the great things that God has done. When we keep God at the center, we turn a house into a home. Then children become like arrows that are used in the battle of God's work and message. And that's what we see in, in 127. It says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward, like arrows in the hand of a warrior are children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. You see, making arrows, they had back in these days, they couldn't go down to Dick's Sporting Goods they couldn't go to Gander Mountain. They couldn't go to Bass Pro and just say, hey, I'm heading into battle this week, so if you could, I need about 100 arrows. If you could help me out with that and get their compound bow out and, and head out and do that. No, they had to make them. So they had everything in front of them. They had, they had the sticks. They had the, airhead, they had the stuff to make the arrowhead, but it took work to make them. So the writer is telling us, our families are the same way. We have to work to make them into the arrows that can that can show God's work and message, that can continue God's work that you've already started. Our children can be used by God as well as to be a uh, to be a blessing to us, to our community, and to God. But it does take work. Which leads us to Psalm 128. And the blessing of a God-fearing family. To be the family that God has called us to be, we must work for our families by keeping Christ at the center. Psalm 128 is such a, ble- a beautiful blueprint for our families. And the imagery I get from this is if you took a rock and threw it into a pond, the ripples that go out from that, this concentric circles that just run out, And eventually, if it's a a calm enough lake, pond, you can see those ripples go all the way out. And so that's the imagery I get as I read this. Uh, And you have the initial splash that causes the ripples to flow out from there. The initial splash is verse 1. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in His ways. Blessed are all who fear the Lord and walk in His ways. Blessed are those that hold God in the highest honor. Blessed are those that stand in awe of God and all that He has done and keep Him at the center. When you do, this is what will happen. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed and it shall be well with you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, Thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. So the initial splash is honoring God and standing in awe of God and the greatness that He is and keeping Him at the center. But then the ripples of those, you shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed and it shall be well with you. Your wife will become like a fruitful vine Your children will be olive shoots around your table. It's all part of his plan and his purpose. And it's a great illustration of of olive shoots around your table because olive shoots drop right there around the main vine or around the main plant, and they grow up. And the imagery of this is that your children will be around you and learn from you and get nutrients from you, and as they grow up, they will grow into the main vine and become the main plant. That's an illustration for us in our home. Now, I don't want you to think that as you sit there and, and you may be an empty nester and beyond, you go, this whole sermon's been about family, what do I have to do with this? Or you may be sitting out there and say I'm not married yet, I don't have kids yet I don't really have to worry about that just quite yet But I firmly believe in Titus 2 Where the older generations reach to the younger generations And the younger generations reach back up to the older generations Because I think we all can teach each other I think we all can learn from each other And in fact we believe this so much That that's become part of who we are at Ivy Creek We're intergenerational because we want to worship together, but we also want to do discipleship together and learn about the great plan that God has for us together. And so when we read these things, uh, we see this this great plan that that God has built, this great blueprint we see in, in 128, and it's led by the father in the home. by him, he's, he's leading up and seeing, standing in awe of God, and that catches. He teaches his wife. They teach their children. And so as we, we begin wrapping things up, we, we ask, so what does all this mean? Like I said, it's easy to build a house. It takes work to build a home. And when we keep God at the center, of that, and look at his blueprint and look at his plan, then we will be successful. The Expositor's commentary sums up Psalms 128 like this, and I think it's a great way to sum up our sermon today. The psalmist thus applies the blessing of God from the individual to the prosperity of God's people at large. The psalm therefore encourages the individual to contribute to the building up of the kingdom of God by living a righteous life in the presence of God. Through Him, His family will establish, and through Him, God will extend His blessing to all the people of God. Because if you can change your family, your family can change your community. And your community can change your area. And your area can change your state. And your state can change your country. And your country can change the world. And it all starts in the home. it all starts with standing in awe of God and keeping him at the center. A great example of this that I ran across is the family of Jonathan Edwards, uh, who was a uh, New England pastor, um, preached many, many years ago. And it talks about him and his godly wife, Sarah. And out of their descendants, 300 became pastors, missionaries, and theological professors. Over 100 became college professors. Over 100 became lawyers, including 30 judges. Over 60 became physicians. 60 authored good books. I don't know about the ones that authored bad books, but... 14 became presidents of universities. Three became United States congressmen. And one although he was the black sheep spiritually, became the vice president of the United States, Aaron Burr, Jr., which was Edward's grandson. The Edward family created a legacy because they kept God at the center. And exactly what 128 talks about. May the Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children, peace, peace, be upon Israel. And that leads me to my sermon and a sentence today. When we follow the blueprint God provides and fight to work for the families with God at the center, we will give a foundation to and rise a generation that will work for the things of God. Bow with me.